This is a summary on the second Sicha of Parshas Ekev. Look at the Sichais Chelek Yud Dalid. This is an extremely Talmudic Sicha, an extremely famous Sicha. And the Rebbe talks about a theme and a Chiddush that he develops, that the Rebbe develops throughout 39, the 39 volume, volumes of the Kodesiches, a very important Chiddush that Rebbe comes to many times and develops from all different angles and so on. So if you're being introduced for the first time to this Chiddush of the Rebbe, then fasten your sipo. So we're discussing in particular in this Sicha the obligation of women in, in, as it relates to the study of Taita. It's well known that women are not obligated in the mitzvah of studying Taita every second of the day. The mitzvah of studying Taita is not applicable, is not ob- obligatory on women. In other words, a man is obligated to spend every waking moment, every moment of his life studying Taita. If he needs to take a break for a second to work, if he needs to stop to go to the bathroom, to go to sleep, fine. But every second of the day, thirty, right? if he only studies 23 hours and 59 minutes, then he'll be held responsible. Why didn't he study Taita for that one minute? There's no such thing as stopping to studying to, uh, the stop of studying Taita. Versus a woman has no such obligation. The Taita says explicitly that it's to boys and not to girls, to your sons and not to your daughters. Okay. The obligation is to teach your sons. However, we know that women are obligated to make the blessing. They make the blessing in the morning of the blessing of thanking God for giving them the Torah and praising God for commanding them to study Torah. And we and they say, You chose us from all the nations and you gave us your Torah. Blessed are you, God, who gave us the Torah. And the question is, how could women make this blessing if they're not obligated to study Torah? Now, the truth be told, there's a great debate between the Sephardic and Ashkenazic halachic authorities going back a thousand years about whether women can make a blessing on mitzvahs that they are not obligated. The Rambam holds very strongly they cannot. The Taisvahs hold that they can. Ashkenazim hold that they can. In other words, if a woman shakes the lulav in the esrik, even if she's not obligated, Taisvah says that she could still make a blessing because when she does it, it's still a mitzvah. Men are obligated and, and, and a woman is taken from men they're not considered two totally different species and people. Therefore, even though she, the, the obligatory element is, does not exist, but the mitzvah, it's still a, it's still a mitzvah for her to do. She was still given the Torah and so on. This is Taisus' opinion. The Rambam says, what do you mean? How could you tell God that you commanded me to do this when you're not obligated? So you're not commanded. And this is a great debate. However, when it comes to the, to the bracha on Torah, there actually is no debate. Everyone agrees that a woman makes the bracha or almost everyone, I should say, that the that a woman makes the bracha on the Torah. And and even the opinion who says a woman could always make a bracha, which, it's still novel for him, because it's not just that a woman is able to make the blessing. It's no, she's obligated in, in the blessing as much as the man is. It's her mitzvah as much as the man. And what is the explanation? So the Alter Rebbe explains in Shulchan Aruch, chapter 47, that the explanation is because a woman is obligated, a Jewish woman is obligated to keep the entirety of Judaism. And it's a big body of obligation. That's a lot on her shoulder that she has to do, just like a man. There's no distinction in terms of obligation. Now, even though there's commandments that a man is obligated and a woman is not, but those are very few and far in between. Maximum 15 mitzvahs of the Torah. What about everything else? A woman is obligated in so much, a woman has to keep Shabbos. So she has to know the entire body of work that pertains to the laws of Shabbos, to know what to do, how to keep Shabbos. 
And so to the entirety of Judaism, she has to know what she has to do, what she doesn't have to do in great detail, and so on and so forth. And even, and especially when we come to the midst of loving God and fearing God, etc., and knowing God, that's the entire body of Kabbalah and Hasidus. A woman has to internalize that in order to do the mitzvahs. So a woman has a lot of obligation on her to study Taita. For what? For the sake of fulfilling the mitzvahs. Therefore, says the Shulchan Aruch, she is obligated to study Taita and she could legitimately make the bracha that you commanded me to study the Taita because she's been commanded to study the Taita in order to do the mitzvahs. But the question arises, in the end of the day, the commandment was for her to do the mitzvah. She's learning Taita merely as a preparation, as a way of knowing what to do. Why is that considered an obligation and a mitzvah particularly to study the Taita? And here comes... A chiddush of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe's chiddush gets even bigger. But we start out with this chiddush, which is that even though it's um, it's almost coincidental, it's parenthetic. You needed to do this in order to, to in order to know what to do. You have to study Torah. So you could say no, but I just had to go through this situation. In Yiddish guide, there's no such thing. If you had to go through it. That means that is that is holy. That in itself has its own sanctity. An example from halacha is that there are the primary services in the temple when you bring a sacrifice, slaughtering the animal, receiving the blood, spritching the blood on the altar. And there's big ramifications, uh, halachic ramifications for these primary services. So if the person has the wrong intent, it fundamentally changes the sacrifice and so on. So now there's a very interesting avoid uh, service in the temple, which is halacha, walking with the blood from where you receive the blood from the animal to the altar, walking. And the question is, why is walking in avoid? It doesn't even say in the Torah, it doesn't mention walking. And the Raghat Shavar explains that the reason is because being that I can't spritz the blood on the altar without walking, that means the walking itself is sanctified, is a divine service. Even if you had the proper intent when you received the blood and you had the proper intent when you spritched the blood, the walking itself is special. The fact that you have to walk means that the Torah itself says that there is a prominence and something special about the walking. So too over here, the woman, by being that she has to study the Torah, that means the Torah has the power, she has that spiritual power. Torah, and Torah is Torah. Torah, we know, was never bogged down by the world. Torah is eternity. Torah is truth. Torah is not, you know, doesn't uh, even care who the identity of the people studying it is. It could be a mamzer who's learning Torah and he's, he's, he's connecting with eternal truth and with absolute reality of Hashem that, that is represented by the Taita and it can be greater than a Kayin Gadol. So this woman, by studying Taita, in a way, in a manner, the Taita that, that Hashem wants her to be studying Taita, commanding her really to study Taita, she needs to study Taita. So now that in itself gains the prominence of Taita. In fact, even a non-Jew who studies Taita, when he needs to study Taita, meaning in order to know what he has to do in this world, the seven Noahide laws and so on, that in itself, the same story. He becomes one with the Taita. There is one distinction. There's one distinction is that Hashem explicitly rejected giving the Taita to the non-Jews. So even though the non-Jew is very special and it's connecting with eternal truths, and in terms of prominence, you could treat him with greater honor than you treat the, 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 
or you treat him with the same honor that you treat a high priest because this non-Jew is connected with eternal truth and reality. Nevertheless, there's a distinction that the, that the non-Jew can never make a blessing on the Torah, that you commanded me or that you gave me because Hashem clearly and explicitly did not give him the Torah. And the Torah was given to the, to the woman, even though she wasn't obligated particularly to study Torah, but when she is obligated because it's for the sake of doing a mitzvah, that in itself now has the sanctity and the prominence of studying Torah. And the truth be told, the Rebbe says that even if she already knows all the laws of Shabbos already, and now, nevertheless, there's still a mitzvah for her to study the laws of Shabbos. I, she already knows what to do. But now on its own, it gained its own sanctity and prominence, the mitzvah that, that of her studying Torah, of her studying the mitzvahs which are relevant to her life. But now let's take it to the next level. Let's take it to the next level. In the end of the day, there's one problem with this, which is there's something called mitzvah va'isa, that when a person does something because they're obligated to do it, commanded by God to do it, that gives it much more spiritual power. The fact that you were commanded by God is a much more powerful moment and a spiritual uh, koyach that a person has in doing that, which, by the way, is why the Yitzhahara, fights you so much more when you're obligated to do something. When you're doing it voluntarily, it's less of a struggle. But when you're obligated, it's a much bigger struggle. Why? Because it has much more power. Ultimately, the obligation of the woman to study Torah is stemming from her obligation to do the mitzvahs, which means that really, even though she's obligated to study Torah, but the obligation, if we point it out, the obligation is the mitzvah. That's the obligation. The power of Torah is always going to remain the power of Torah. But it's as if she's learning Torah without being commanded to learn Torah. It only has the power of a mitzvah that you haven't been commanded to do. Because the whole, only commandment in the story is coming from the mitzvah. So, the, yeah, so you have a mitzvah to study Torah, but as an extension of the mitzvah, of to do the mitzvah. But the mitzvah, mitzvah's Talmud Torah, the commandment to study Torah has never taken place. How could a woman get that higher level, that greater level? So here, the Gemara says she gets that particularly when she helps out her husband and her children, her sons, that they should study Torah. And when she participates, and without her, they wouldn't have been able to study Torah. Whatever she does to make sure that they should be able to study Torah. And at the end of the day, the woman runs the household. So if she doesn't want the husband devoting hours learning Torah, it's not going to happen. It's really in her hands. And therefore, being that she has that power, when he studies Torah and he is obligated by God to study Torah every second, she it's as if she's studying the Torah because that's the way it works in Yiddishkeit, that when you are a part of the mitzvah and without you, the mitzvah could never have happened, then it's as if you are an extension of that very mitzvah. She is involved in the study of Torah itself of an obligatory study of the Torah. Similarly, similar, I'm sorry, similar to the fact that a woman, for example, it's very interesting. There's an obligation to have children. However, it's only an obligation on men to have children, not on women. Fascinating. Why is it so fascinating? Because you can't do the mitzvah without a woman. So in other words, the man's job is to get a woman to do to, 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 who should agree to have his child, to, 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 that they, they should have children together. But, but what the Ran says, something unbelievable, that when the woman has the child, she it's not like she's doing something nice. 
she is half of the mitzvah. In other words, she has the very mitzvah of Purim, of having children, of the man. Because, why? Because it's an extension of his very mitzvah. The mitzvah, his mitzvah is nothing without the woman, and therefore she is considered an extension of that very mitzvah, and it's one and the same, and they split it 50-50, the very power of the mitzvah, of the obligatory mitzvah itself. And this is really the deep reason, spiritually, why the physical items that we sanctify become holy. Seemingly, sacredness, spirituality, godliness, those aren't physical items. How does tefillin become holy? How does the Torah, how do we, how, how does Judaism have this idea that physical becomes holy? And the answer is, because being that you can't, the whole mitzvah, the spiritual idea, which is a, which is a mitzvah, this theoretical, spiritual, sanctified idea, a mitzvah could only be accomplished through the physical, through this physical item. That means this physical item becomes an extension of that spiritual energy and idea. Because without this, that could have never happened. And that's what gives that the power. And this gives us personally tremendous powerful power and strength when we realize that even though it's God who brings all the godliness into the world and accomplishes everything, however, being that Hashem wants us to add our two cents, and it's our two cents that makes it happen, it's true God is the one who does everything. But he wants us to do the action, in other words, with the strength of Torah. But we do the action. Therefore, we become an extension of the Torah. We, in fact, we become representatives of God Himself. We are God on earth when we do the mitzvahs. We become an extension, and that's why we're able to conquer the world with the strength of Hashem and with the strength of the Torah.